right, um, Psalms chapter 133, verses 1 through 3, in the New King James Version, if you have your Bibles. I want to preach a sermon that I've entitled, The Power of Unity, and I want to talk about harmony among God's children. As a way of illustration, if you can put the picture up on the screen, I want to use um, a picture of a flock of geese as the illustration. The question posed was, why do, why do geese fly, fly in a V formation? A man commenting on this, he said that years ago when he first seen this, or when he first heard this story, he had a, a new respect for geese as they fly. We all have seen geese fly in the sky. They typically are in a, a V formation. And if you see a goose flying alone, you, they're typically looking for a flock so that they can get in line in that V formation. And he looks up in awe at this because as each bird in the formation, the V formation, flaps its wings, what it does is it creates an uplift for the bird right behind it. And what that uplift does is it takes away the tension or the resistance of the wind on that bird right behind. And by flying in V formation, the entire flock it adds at least 71% greater flying range than if each bird were to be flying on its own. And I use this as an illustration because that's a picture of the power of unity. And in the text that I'm going to read, David, he's talking about the blessing and how it's a pleasant thing when, when believers are in harmony, when there's unity, because there's power released through that. And so let's read our text, Psalms chapter 133, verses 1 through 3, a song of ascents of David. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life, Forevermore. So let's lay a foundation. Let's talk firstly about the blessing of unity. It's important to understand first and foremost what unity is and what unity looks like. Because it's spoken about throughout the Word of God, and therefore that tells us that unity among brethren is important to God. It is His will, His plan. The definition of unity is the state of being united or joined together as a whole. And as Christians, as believers in Jesus, as God's children, we are unified, okay, in our belief that there's one body, there's one spirit, there's one future, there's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism, there's one God and Father of all who's over all, in all, and he's living through all. This is foundational for the believers of Jesus. We are here because this is the assembly of God's people, and this is God's plan that we meet together and come to hear his word. This is his design. And because we believe in God, we are here this morning, right? That's foundational. That's what brings us together. This unity is the glue that brings us in fellowship for a common purpose, which is to serve God and to do his will. And when believers are in harmony, there's a powerful force to carry out the marching, or we are a powerful force when, in, when unified together, 
when there is the bond of peace that brings us together, to carry out the marching orders that Jesus gave us, which is to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Those are our marching orders. And as we are unified, there's power released that allows a focus to focus, uh, to fixate on that, what we've been called to do. In the fellowship that we are in, we are united with a common vision. And this isn't just, you know, our, this is our fellowship. This is actually biblical principles that we take the heart, which is making disciples, raising up men, disciples, discipling, disciples, disciple cycles. I always love saying that, so this is my opportunity. Seeing lives changed and then reaching the world for Jesus Christ. This is what we are a part of. These are what we have read in the Bible. We've taken them to heart and now we are going out and we are proclaiming God's word. Amir, in the Sunday school uh, video we watched, he's talking about believers getting distracted about things in this world and being ashamed or embarrassed to go out and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. But we have embraced outreaching, evangelizing, going out into the world, taking the gospel message that we have been told, we've been taught, and seeing lives changed through that. This is a prime example of the blessing and the power of unity because we are fruit that came from brethren in harmony with a vision to reach the world for Jesus. We are here today because God had inspired a man and other men and women to go out and preach the gospel, to send laborers so that the gospel could be planted in other cities, countries. And therefore, because of that, we see some almost 3,000 churches around planet Earth that we can be a part of because of a vision embraced in brethren in harmony to carry forth that vision. Moving on, in verse number one of our text, it says, David speaks, he says, Behold, in other words, listen up. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Unity is good because it reflects God's heart and purpose among his people. In the book of John, Jesus is actually praying for unity among those who believe in him and for those who will believe in him. John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. Jesus says, I do not pray for these alone. He's talking about the disciples. I I don't pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you've sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. When we are in union with God, the result of that is harmony with others. And in this text, Jesus desired that his children would be united as a powerful witness of God's love. Each branch that's connected to the vine, the source, which is God, will be united with all other branches doing the same thing because when we are connected, 
talks about this in John 15. When we, we are the branches, God is the vine. When we are connected to him, his divine, his divineness, it, it pours into us, and therefore that radiates out from us. And that is a bond that pulls brethren together in, in unity. And so, and then through this union, we, we bring glory to God. So a question to ask ourselves this morning is, are we helping, or what are we doing to help the body of Christ to be unified through, through our lifestyles? And although we are brought together through living for Jesus, what is often lacking is the practical outworking of unity in our lives. And so we must remind ourselves of the immense blessing that it is to be a child of God and to serve with other believers in the will of God. And so a lot of times when we pray, and it's a good thing to ask God to bless us, it's a very good thing to do that. There's nothing wrong about that because he asks us, or he tells us that we can do that. But it's very good to actually ask God, God, show me how blessed I am in Christ, how blessed I am to be your child. Show me how blessed I am to be able to serve with other children of Christ. And David says in our text also that it is a pleasant thing when God's children are in harmony. And that's because it it makes serving God much more enjoyable when there's peace. Ephesians 4 and verse 3 says, Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Peace is another glue that binds us together. God takes delight in seeing peace among his children. Peace among brethren is likened to motor oil for your car. The motor oil, it provides lubrication for all the parts in your engine. Therefore, when they come together, there's less tension, less friction there. And everything's able to run smoothly. Peace is that lubrication. God wants the engine, which is his body, which is us, the believers, to run smoothly. And peace is that bond to help his engine run smoothly and be effective on earth. So let's look secondly at weapons that are formed against unity. The opposite of unity is division, which is a weapon used by hell to to separate God's people. It's used against God's people. And what this is, or what is division, and why do we even have to worry about it? Division, it has to do with separation. This is caused by disagreements. This is caused by conflicts within a group. Hebrews 12, 14 through 15 says, work at living in peace with everybody and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God and watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. This text tells us, at first in this text, it it tells us to live to work, to live peaceably among one another. Okay, this, it tells us that it's work. That's work to live peaceably among one another. But this is not a burdensome work. Okay, this, this work at living peaceably among one another can look like encouraging one another, putting each other's needs before our own, standing behind one another when we have an idea, loving one another or praying for one another, or just simply stirring each other up in the things of God and 
there's such an emphasis on this. This is so important to God that we we do that. His believers all across the globe do this because this scripture tells us to watch out from the poison of bitterness that can get lodged in our hearts. This happens when we allow disappointments to grow into resentment or when we nurse grudges over past hurts. And this poison, it doesn't just trouble you, but affects others as well. And and thanks be to God that he reveals this wickedness so that we can chop it at the roots before it's something that can gain a stronghold in our lives. And I've personally had to deal with the enemy, the devil, trying to tempt me with bitterness because, and I'll give you a testimony, it's kind of risky to improvise, but my boss, Gary, I love the guy to death. God bless him. Very, very old school guy. He's like 70 years old. And Gary has taught, God's actually helped me a lot through this guy, Gary, because I get rebuked on the daily from this guy. (laughs) But I don't take offense to it. I don't take any offense to it just because every single other person gets rebuked by this guy all the time. And he's not a vulgar guy. He doesn't swear a lot, but he's very, he expects you to know everything. And so there's been times, you know, when I first got hired that my coworker, Chad, he's always, he's always encouraged me. He's like, Hey man, you got to understand you got to have thick skin here. Gary's just, he's like that with everybody, man. You're going to go in there. It's going to be some hard times, but you'll make it through, man. And I just remember seeing Chad, because my desk is right here, and Chad's desk is right behind me, and Gary's office is right here, and there's a doorway, you walk into his office. And I just remember Chad going in there with his jobs to go over them with Gary, and Chad's, it's like a verbal judo up in there. There's a verbal fight going on. It's a war zone. I'm at my desk like, oh, shoot, man, what's going on up in there? And Chad would come out, man, he'd look straight at me, he'd be like, like he just got hit. And I'd be next. <laughs> and I'd be next. And I'd be just sitting there just taking it from Gary. And I've actually lost customers from the same thing because, again, he does it with everybody. And I just remember being in, in the office after that. And I, and I say this just because to, to illustrate that after that, you know, the, the enemy, when you're when you when a situation plays out like that, when there's a disagreement or a conflict or something, the enemy will always bring scenarios that are not real into your mind and replay these imaginary situations. And all of a sudden, in my mind, I'm playing these videos. I have, for some reason, supernatural strength. I go in there and I grab his ankle, and I'm like, boom, 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 and and I'm like. I had to come to the point where I'm like, okay, am I going to allow my mind to dwell on these scenarios? Because in that moment, I had to say, if I allow myself to keep dwelling on that, because I think I can take Gary, probably could. If I allow my mind to dwell on that, then that's going to create a stronghold. That's going to create a foothold in my heart. And that is something that the Bible warns me to watch out about because that can cause bitterness and stick division between my and my boss's relationship. And so I had to chop that at the roots. And it's at those points where we make those decisions to chop that at the roots. I, I, 
was listening to a sermon that I'll never forget. It was from Pastor uh, Richard Ruby. And in this sermon, he used a, a picture for his illustration. And it was a sermon about unforgiveness and why there's such a great emphasis, why Jesus focuses so much on, on forgiveness. you got to forgive because he forgave you. It's so important to do that. He used an illustration, and the illustration was in, in a huge tree. Huge tree. And it was like one of the roots of this tree was like one of the, one of the regular-sized trees we see outside. It was a huge tree. And the roots of that tree grew so deep into the earth. It grew so far down deep, it grounded itself that nothing can pull that thing up except a miracle. And he likened that to unforgiveness because there's such an emphasis to forgive because unforgiveness, if it is nursed, if it is just continually nursed, then that's what can happen in our hearts. It can get lodged down deep, deep into our hearts to the point where it will only take a miracle and a lot of work on your end to get that thing out. And so that's why Jesus spends so much time emphasizing on that. And the same goes for bitterness, that thing getting lodged in our hearts. Why it's so important to chop it at the roots. So moving on, let's look at because the children of God are a powerful force when in harmony, devices from hell are formed to cause friction Amongst them, Jesus said in the Bible, any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A town or a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. Civil war within the church is the goal of the devil. He does this by stealing the lubrication of peace among the brethren. And either, earlier I likened peace among brethren to motor oil in a car. When there is no motor oil in the car... The parts will come in contact at each other at high speeds, which eventually will destroy the engine in a car. And without peace among brethren in the church or issues arise that can cause division among people and a house divided cannot stand. Devices, some examples that can be used are, again, disagreements, offenses, lies believed, pride and envy, a corrupt perspective and or rejection. All of these influences, all of these are intended to create tension among believers and rob them of the blessing of unity. And one thing it's important to know is that the church, yes, it is, it's built on imperfect people. It's never going to be a perfect scenario. This is why I'm mind-boggled when somebody leaves the church and leaves God for the reason being there are too many issues in these people's lives. Mind-boggling because the church is imperfect, right? We know that. But harmony among brethren does not mean there won't be disagreements. Okay? People have opinions. Sharon's dad says, everybody's... Oh, opinions are like armpits. Everybody's got two of them, and they both stink. I like that. But a lot of times, even opinions can be good, hearing different viewpoints. That can help us get stuck in our ways a lot of times. So hearing different perspectives can help. But 
Why I mention this is, although the church is built on imperfect people, there will be certain seasons, disagreements, and things. But it is how those situations are processed from us. That's crucial. Very crucial, how it's processed. What is our reaction? This situation just happened. Gary had just rebuked me in the office. I come out of the office. Now, how am I going to react to that? What, is, what am I going to dwell on? Am I going to chop this at the roots? Or am I going to nurse it, let it distract me from other things, and sap the energy of my mind that I could be focusing on other things with? Because it is in those moments that our hearts can be fertile ground for the devil to plant his seed, gain a foothold in our lives. We just did a Bible study last year. It was called Don't let the enemy have a seat or don't give the enemy a seat at your table. And that's, that's talking about, um, I forgot exactly Psalms 23. It might've been, but it's, it's talking about, you know, God has prepared a table for you and him to be at. And this table is, it, it says in that scripture, it's in the presence of the enemy. Okay? It's not like God has pulled you out of that whole situation far away from the enemy the enemy can't touch you no you are in the presence of the enemy the enemy's there you're at a table with god and i say that because we have a decision to make to keep our minds focused on god as as a reaction to these type of situations as a reaction to it we have a decision to make to keep our minds focused on god who's at table that he's prepared for us, or we can allow the enemy who's in the presence there influencing things that he's trying to lodge in our hearts and gain strongholds in us. We can choose to focus on that. But when we focus on God at that table, then we do ourselves good and save ourselves a lot of pain. So let's move on. Let's look lastly this morning at the power of unity. It's comforting to know that God is eager to bring his children together and to keep his children together in unity. Spoken all throughout the word of God, it is his will, and he delights in this. And he's eager to do so because unity among his children is very valuable to him. In verse 2 of our text, it tells us that unity among God's children is likened to the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, who was the high priest, running down on the edge of his garments. For God to liken unity to precious anointing oil, it gives us a good idea of how very valuable that is to God. That there be a harmony among his children. Because like a musical chord, when there's when every chord is tuned perfectly, there's There's a harmony there. And this should encourage us to know how abundant and rich a blessing that that unity is. The good good sound to God. And then unity also, it releases a power of refreshment. Verse 3 of our text tells us that unity is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. This is a picture of refreshment. We are refreshed, we are revitalized when there is harmony because there, again, is less tension 
to sap our energy, our mental energy. Energy that can be used powerfully and channeled towards the things of God. Energy that can be used towards new converts and people coming in. Because this congregation, we all know it, that this, this is a candle-lit lit church. I forgot the word, but, but whatever. Pastor Mike's, um, when, he, when he prophesied years ago, that's what he said. It's the idea of God drawing people, adding to the church. That is what we all desire, right? We all want to see lives change. That is our vision. We want to see people change for Jesus Christ. But we also know that it takes a lot of our energy to help these people who just got saved out of the world, who are new converts, who have things deeply rooted, grounded in their hearts that need to be weeded out. And God relies on us gives us that responsibility to help these people to go on for Christ. I remember I, I was a new convert. Obviously, every single one of us was. But I was a new convert, and I got saved. And I remember I would always call Pastor Jesse and, and Pastor Matt about, like, you know, just how to pray. How should I pray? How should I do this? Say, Pastor Jesse, I'm at the cupboard right now. I got canola oil, and I got peanut oil. What one should I anoint the house with? Just weird stuff, man, and just new convert stuff. And, and and it takes energy. It, it it takes focus to be able to help these people in the world. And, and if our focus is, if our mental energy, if our focus is sapped by other things that don't um, help accelerate the work of God, then then that's that's not a good thing. So in closing, I want to look at a. a Example of unity in the Bible that brought a powerful impact. In Acts chapter 2, it talks about the coming promise of the Holy Spirit. God, um, or in verse 1 of Acts chapter 2, it talks about the believers. They were there, they were meeting in one accord in one place. Okay, one accord meaning the likeness of mind. They were meeting in one place. The promise comes, okay? Jesus, when he was on earth, he promised that he's going to send another, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit then comes and fills all these believers, and they begin to speak in tongues. This drew in a multitude of people. It says devout Jews. This means Jews who, who knew deep religious belief. They knew the law. This drew in, that's besides the point, this drew in a multitude of, of these men, these people. Then it, it says in Acts 2 that Peter stands up amongst the, the 11 um, with, were with him. Peter preaches a message, and this message that he, he teaches or preaches cuts them to the heart. Therefore, they asked him, what must we do? Peter says, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. 3,000 souls were converted as a response to what Peter had just told them. 3,000 souls responded. The next six verses in Acts chapter 2 talk about the fellowship of the believers. These are 3,000 now new converts. 
And it says in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, it says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miracles and signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to the fellowship those who were being saved. This is a wonderful example for us as Christians. And what we can get from this is that a healthy Christian community attracts people to Christ. This is the realm in which God will draw People And when, we fo- when our focus shifts from problems within the body to working towards peace, harmony is birth, and we become a powerful force for God. And in the illustration used, much like the flock of geese coming together in V formation, and as each bird flapping its wings creates an uplift for the bird or the goose behind, brethren in harmony also creates an uplift of zeal. Great passion for God, for the things of God, which is something that I believe is contagious among believers. What I like to, I like to read, I like to read books um, time to time on on uh, past evangelists and a lot of times they'll, talk about churches that they pioneered at or um, where they've preached. And it was like when all the believers a lot of times were in harmony in prayer and evangelizing and taking the vision to heart, keeping it at the forefront of their minds, keeping their focus on working towards peace among one another, that was like something that was contagious. Just like that scripture said, bitterness in one person's life is like a poison and it can spread to other people. It doesn't just affect that one person, but it can affect more. It's like this zeal that when a couple people, when a few people get on fire and, and do the things of God and, and read their Bible and, and, and again go out and evangelize and just get behind one another when we have ideas and outreach ideas. That is like a contagious zeal, a passion for God that can infect and influence one another so that we can all be encouraged to do the will of God and to see, be, and devote ourselves to seeing lives change so that when God does bring people, because we are not just in this building for no reason, God is going to draw people here, broken lives, broken people. That we as his children, he's relying on us to to be able to minister to these people, to help them, to encourage and influence them to live godly lives, to go on for Christ. And so I want to close with this question. What, What exactly, what are we doing to make this assembly of people, this church, the kind of place that will attract others to Christ? I'd like every head bowed, every eye closed for a moment and I want to make a call to the altar if you are here this morning and you're not saved meaning 
that you have never given your life to Jesus Christ. At the end of every single service, we always give an opportunity. This is part of our vision. This is part of what Jesus has called us to do, marching orders to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The times that we live in are are very critical. We are in like the two-minute warning of the last days. The world is in chaos. But listen, we have been given Jesus Christ a gift. This time of year, you are going to see gifts around the trees. It's Christmas time of year. God has given us a gift. And that gift was Jesus Christ came into this world, walked to this earth just like us, but he was 100% God and 100% man. All the Old Testament points to this. All the prophets point to this. Jesus Christ bore our sin, bore our iniquities, our diseases upon himself on the cross. And he put it to destruction on the cross at Calvary. Why? What does that mean for you and me? That means that we can be saved. We can be forgiven. We can experience the miraculous power of God to set our soul free from the things, the sin that we have committed, these abominations that we have committed towards God. He is eager to forgive us. He's eager to do a miracle in our hearts and weed things out that we have allowed to settle in. And we serve a loving God. And if you're here, you can be saved, forgiven, washed clean in the blood of Jesus Christ. You're here. I want to ask you with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you'd be honest before God and say, I need a Savior. I need to be forgiven of my sins, would you signify that by just lifting up your hand and putting it right back down really quickly? How many would there be in a crowd this size? Would you just lift up your hand, put it right back down? Maybe maybe you've once walked with God, but through life's struggles and battles, you've lost your trust in God. Maybe through school, you've been pulled away by the influences and you want to rededicate your life to Jesus Christ. You want to make a decision, go on record. I'm going to ask you, God is eager, arms wide open to receive you. Would you make that decision by lifting up your hand, putting it right back down really quickly? How many would there be? Praise God. We're going to sing a song. I'm going to open the altars. Let's stand and come meet with God at this altar. Saying, Create in me. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. And renew a bright spirit within me. Yeah.
solo, yo lo solo. Thank you, Jesus.